Well, we are rapidly moving to March 25, a day when we will make our commitments concerning a promise. I think that is going to be one of the most exciting, eventful days in the life of our church. It's going to be different. We begin at 8.30 with breakfast here at First Baptist. And uh, then at 10 o'clock, we begin our service. Our service is not going to be televised that day. They will televise something that we've done before. But it's going to give us an opportunity to have this great celebration. And so on the 25th, our church is going to make their commitment to a promise. And uh, I'm also encouraging you on that day that you bring the, the most you can towards your pledge so that we have the biggest offering we've ever had. You do not want to miss March 25. So I don't care what comes up, be here on March 25. It's going to be a great day. Now, as we're moving in that direction, last week I spoke to you on struggling with God. And uh, I think that we all have to struggle through this. And so we might as well acknowledge that. We're asking you to do something that requires a struggle. And so that's a good thing. You just be willing to struggle with God through it. And then today I want to speak to you on the subject of seeking God. So take your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. Now, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbor, neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into all these vessels and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They were bringing the vessels to her and she poured. And it came about when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. All right, today, seeking God. I believe that to seek God, we begin with personal evaluation. In other words, I don't think that you or I will really seek after God until we understand our need of God. Now, this woman's need was obvious. Her husband had died. The Bible says in verse number 1b, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. Josephus, the historian, said that this was a prominent prophet. He was well respected, but now he is dead. Well, when he died, this woman's security was gone because he had been the source of her security. So now then her husband has died and she no longer feels secure. I think there probably was also a considerable amount of confusion with her because there is normally confusion when a good person dies. And the Bible says that he was a good person or indicates that he was a good person. So here is a man who was a good man, but he died. 
The Bible says that he also was a godly man because she referred to him as being one who feared the Lord. So I think that she was confused somewhat. We understand people who are not good people dying. We understand those people who are not good citizens dying. But when it's really someone who is good, really someone who is godly, then we have a little bit of struggle with that. And I think this woman did. Her husband had been a good man, a godly man, and now the creditors are about to foreclose on the debt. You'll see in verse number 1c, And the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Albert Barnes wrote, The law of Moses recognized servitude for debt and allowed that pledging of the debtor's person, which in a rude state of society, is regarded as the safest and the most natural security. In the present case, it would seem that so long as the debtor lived, the creditor had not enforced his right over his sons, but now in his death he claimed their services to which he was by law entitled. So in that society, at that time, children could become collateral for debts. In other words, if I borrowed something from you, some money from you, I would put up to secure the debt, maybe my children, that if I did not pay you back, then they would become your slaves, and that's what's happening here. I understand that a little bit because there were a few times when I thought they were going to repossess my children. So I understand a little bit about that, and probably some of you do as well. But the children had secured the debt, and now then the prophet had died. The debt was unpaid, so the creditor was coming to get the two sons, and they were going to be his slaves. You see, this prophet had lived in debt, and he died in debt. He must have been a Baptist pastor. That's what I figured out there. But the situation was hopeless. I mean, this woman had no hope because this was a legal debt. This was a legal contract. She owed the creditor her two sons, so she sought God. Or Roberts once wrote, When you come to the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on. God may have hold of the other end. When we come to a place of desperation... When we come to a time when we have no hope, it is usually out of desperation that we seek God. And that was so with this woman. There was no hope for her. She owed a legal debt. And because she was desperate, she turned to the Lord. The same thing was true with Jairus. The Bible tells in the New Testament the story of Jairus. And his daughter had died, and out of that desperation, he went to Jesus. There was no place else to look. There was no place else to go. He turned to Jesus. Now, when we honestly evaluate our condition, if we're honest, I think that will drive us to the Lord. Now, that's true with salvation. If we get honest and see ourselves as we truly are, we know there is no place else to go because the Bible says that I am a sinner, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. 
There's nothing about me to commend me to God, as the songwriter wrote. Nothing in my hand I bring, only to thy cross I cling. So when I come to the place and I evaluate my spiritual condition, I see that I am a sinner. There is nothing about me that commends me to God. So what do I do? I turn to God for His grace. That is true in salvation. It is my belief and honestly it is my hope that as you go through a promise, that the same thing happens in your heart concerning that. That we begin to understand that we cannot do what we want to do by ourselves. I love the testimony that Bob Newell shared just a few minutes ago. Our goal, as you probably know, is that we raise $7 million, that we remodel uh, Lindsay, and that we pay off our debt and so forth. So we know, but, but when we come to the place to say, I can't do that by myself, what do we do then? We either give up or we turn to God. And there are some of you, as you're working through this now, struggling with God, you'll say, well, I don't have any money. All I have is like this woman. I have some empty jars, but I don't have any money. And so you're going to have to depend on God then to enable you to do what God leads you to do. And there are some of you who might say, well, now, I have some money. I don't want anyone to know about it. That's what I found to be true with some of you. I've got some money, but I don't want anybody to know about it, especially the preacher. But you know what? There's no guarantee you're going to have it next year. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse number 5, For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. And if you watched the stock market last week, you saw a lot of them flying towards the heavens. So you might have some money today, but that does not mean you're going to have any next year. So what I'm saying is that in both cases, if your jars are empty, or if your bank account is full today, it requires faith on both our parts. It comes down to trusting the Lord. That if I have nothing, then I trust the Lord to provide. If I have something, then I trust the Lord to provide. In both cases, it requires faith. So, seeking God begins with personal evaluation. We evaluate our condition and see our need of God. Secondly, seeking God considers our resources. Now, what has God entrusted to you? You consider your resources. What has He entrusted to you? There are two questions here that are of interest to me. The first is, what do you want? In verse number two, and Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Now, you will notice the question is a question of want, not need. Why is that? Because want deals with the condition of one's heart. Need does not. But want deals with the condition of your heart. You see, the woman's need was obvious. We know what her need was. Her, her husband had died. And the creditors had come to take her two sons. So we know what her need was. And Elisha did not ask her about her need. Instead, he probed beneath the need to the condition of her heart. And he asked the question, what do you want? That's a question I want you to consider. Because if we deal honestly with the question of what do I want, then it begins to reveal to us the condition of our heart. What do you want? 
What do you really want? Now, some might say, well, you know what? I would be embarrassed to say this, but I really want to be famous. I'd really like recognition. I want people to know me when I walk down the street. Someone else might say, well, what I really want is, is, is money. I want to be wealthy. I'd like to be wealthy. See, that was the rich young ruler. He was dissatisfied. He was rich. He was young. He had power. He was a ruler. He was dissatisfied with his life, and that's the reason that he came to Jesus. And Jesus then told him, well, sell what you have and give to the poor. And the Bible says that he could not do that because he wanted his wealth more than he wanted Jesus. And so the scripture says that he went away sorrowful. So some of you might look at your life and say, well, you know, if I were to be honest about it, really what I want more than anything else is to be wealthy. I want to feel that I'm secure in life, that I have money in the bank, that I can do whatever I want to do. Some of you probably say, you know, I... I really want to know God. I really want to have a relationship with God that is real, that is meaningful. Well, how important is that to you? How really important is it to you that you have that kind of relationship with God? I read the story this week um, about a young man who went to an old sage and, and uh, asked him. He said, how can I really know God? And the uh, sage took him by the hand and because there was a river nearby and he began to lead him out into the river and they walked out into the midst of the river and just as they got out of the middle, the old fellow took him and plunged him under the water and held him there. The young man was gasping and struggling and fighting and he just held him there almost until his death. And then he brought him up. The young man said, why in the world did you do that? What does that have to do with, with finding God? And the old fellow said to him, when you were under the water, what did you want more than anything else? He said, air. He said, when you want God as much as you wanted air, then you'll find him. Let me ask you, how much do you want to know God, really? How, how much do you really want that kind of relationship with God that is meaningful, that is real in your life? What do you want? That's an important question because it speaks about the condition of my heart. What do you want? And if you will be honest with yourself in the evaluation as you ask that question, it will reveal to you what is important in your heart. What do you want? The second question is what do you have in verse number 2b? Tell me what do you have in the house? Now that's the question of investment. Because here he is asking, will you give what you have to have what you want? So this is a question of investment. And the widow didn't have much. It continues in verse number 2. Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a, a jar of oil. She didn't have much. She had a jar of oil. It is believed that that probably was an anointing oil, an oil that was used for religious purposes. But the question to her is, okay... Are you willing to give that to God? Are you willing to trust God with that? You don't have much. All I have is a jar of anointing oil. Okay. Are you willing to trust God with that? Take an inventory. What do you have? And the verse teaches us something as we consider the question. You see, you see folks, we start with what we have. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 8, 12, For if the readiness is present, 
It is acceptable according to what a man has, not according to what he does not have. There are some of you who possibly would say, if I had a million dollars, I would give half of it to this campaign because I believe in it. What if you don't have it? What does that mean? Maybe all you have is a jar of oil. That's fine. That's where you start. God holds us responsible for what we have, not what we wish we had. He holds us responsible for what we have. So we start there. What do you have? Secondly, it teaches me that everybody has something. Might not be much, but we all have something. In the last church that I pastored, we had a campaign that's similar to this. I'll never forget it. But the offering plate was passed, and it was brought to me after the service. There was an envelope, an offering envelope, and I opened it. And there were two very small, simple gold earrings inside, just little gold earrings. And there was a note that said, this is all I have. That touched me more deeply, I suppose, than anything else that was given. And I said to some of our leaders at that time, that is the largest offering that is given to this campaign. This is all I have. Folks, we get caught up a lot of times in whether or not we have the big or just a jar of oil or some very simple gold earrings. That's really not the question. It's all a matter of the heart. We all have something. And then it also teaches me that little can become much when we give it to God. I look at David. David had a slingshot and five river rocks. Not much to go against Goliath the giant. But he said, I've trusted the Lord in the past. I'm trusting the Lord today. And he conquered the giant. It was enough in the hands of God. I, I thought about the little boy who had uh, had his lunch, and, and he gave it to the disciples, and Jesus blessed it. It was five loaves of bread and two fish. wasn't much, but the multitude was fed when it was placed in the hands of God. I think about the widow who only had two mites, about one quarter of a cent. It wasn't much, but it's enough to inspire me 2,000 years later. It's enough to inspire you 2,000 years later. Not much until it's placed in the hands of God. And then it's enough. Seeking God considers our resources. What do you want? What do you have? Thirdly, seeking God calls for partnership. When we did the study of experiencing God, you recall the essence of that study was that God is at work and we simply join God in what he is doing. Well, to partner with God requires faith on our part. You'll see in verse number three, then he said, go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. He said, go, that's action. Faith is always active. It is never passive. Go, borrow, that speaks of urgency. When you have a need like this woman, there's a sense of urgency about it, isn't there? 
Whenever you have a real serious need in your life, then there's a sense of urgency about it. He said, go, borrow, not a few. That speaks of expectancy. And we ought to expect great things from God. I, I get aggravated at myself sometimes when I, I believe, sell God so short. Do you ever do that? I guess it's just me. You and me, Anthony, we're the only ones who do that. I, I do. I, I mean, God is God and He can do anything. And sometimes I sell Him so short. Not a few. Go borrow. Not a few. Get a bunch of them. Trust God for big things. And we move in faith and become partners with God. Now, I look in verse number 4 and see the widow got alone with God. In verse number 4, you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into all these vessels, and you shall set aside what's full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, and they were bringing the vessels to her, and she poured. Now, they got along with God. She and her sons got together with God. Folks, that's what I want you to do. I want you to get along with God. Get along with God, wrestle with God, struggle with God, ask Him what He expects. Now, let me, parenthetically, let me just tell you something. When my children were little and they were growing up, and we had uh, various, you know, times of stewardship and so forth, what we would do with our children, Lynn and I would get them together and we would discuss it together. And uh, then we would just say what we were going to do. We did, but we did it as a family because I saw it as a great teaching opportunity to teach my children that this was important to me and I wanted it to be important to them and that we were trusting God. Let me encourage you to do that. Get your family together. Talk about it. Pray about it. Fuss about it. Whatever it is you want to do. But let it be a family thing. So as I look at this woman, she and her sons got together behind closed doors. They got alone with God. Now, what you believe will determine how you prepare. The, what this woman believed determined the number of vessels. Now, she was told, don't get a few, but what she believed determined how many she got. Now, folks, as you do this, if your question is, what can I afford, then you will only do what you can do. Okay? You will only do what you can do if your question is, what can I afford? If your question is, what does God want me to do? Now, that involves faith, and God gets involved at that point. I told you, I think, last week, week before last, whenever it was, that Lynn and I are going through this same struggle that you're going through, and that uh, she has a little more faith than I. I start here, she's up here. And you would think in that that we would sort of come together in the middle. It never works that way. I start here, she starts here, and we go up there. Because it just works that way. But we're going through the same struggle that you are. And so we've, we've decided, I, I think that we're pretty well at the point now that we know what God wants us to do. Bob was saying, we, we've struggled with it. We've prayed about it. We've talked about it. And we feel like we know what God wants us to do in order to do it. Because we want to participate on the 25th of March. We'll just take some money out of our retirement. And believe that that's what the Lord wants. That's what, I'm not saying that's what God wants you to do. I'm saying that's what we believe God wants us to do. So it's a really fun thing. It's a great thing. And it stretches you when you get along with God. And your question is, God, what do you want me to do? And then you respond to it. Now, faith 
determines your preparation, and your preparation determines your blessing. Now, I believe that. That's the reason we're doing what we do. So look at verse number 6. And it came about when the vessels were full that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. What she had prepared for determined her blessing. And all the vessels she brought were filled. And she said, Bring me another one. It's still flowing. There's no more. But I want you to see what happened with her. Her needs were met. Verse number 7. Then she came and told the man of God. And he said, go sell the oil. Pay your debt. All right. So her needs were met. And her future was secured. Verse number 7 continues. And you and your sons can live on the rest. Now that's what I believe. And so that's why we're doing what we do. Because we do believe that. You see, the Bible says whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. And whatever you sow in any area of your life, that, that is going to determine your harvest. You know, I believe that you can't out, outgive God, and so your response will determine God's blessing. Now, let me conclude. As you go through the process, there has to be personal evaluation. Really evaluate. What do you want? What do you have? Go through the evaluation. Secondly, consider your resources. What has God entrusted to you? Maybe some empty jars, maybe a lot. But what has God entrusted to you? And then thirdly, partner with God. Beth Greer's up here in the, uh, there she is. She's up there in the choir. I love Beth. She's a little flaky sometimes, but I love her. <laughs> but uh, she sends out emails, and, and uh, I happen to be on her list, and she sent this one recently, and I asked her if I could refer to it, and she allows me to do so. But you know that Beth sings. She goes to other churches and sings. And she said, Yesterday morning at First Baptist Kershaw was such a sweet blessing to me. My daddy was pastor of this church over 35 years ago. We were only there for two years right before we went to Brazil, and they went to Brazil as missionaries. As I stood up to lead in worship, I saw so many in the congregation that I have known and loved and that have prayed and supported my family. It was such a wonderful reminder of how faithful the Lord is. I just cried on my way home as I called my mom to tell her the lives that were affected by hers and daddy's love for the Lord and their obedience to the call on their lives so many years ago. You see, folks, I believe that giving is generational. I give today because I want to be a blessing to my children. And to their children. I see it as an investment. Not for me. But an investment. And I think about Beth and her parents. Her parents made an investment years ago. And Beth enjoyed them just a few Sundays ago. That's what God does. Giving is generational. One generation gives to bless the next generation. That's an investment. Father, we come to you at a time of invitation.
We talk about seeking you, not just in the area of finances, but in every area of life. Lord, I pray today that some who are seeking you want to know you, that they'll really want to know you to the point that they will commit their lives to you even this day. I pray for those who are lost, that they might be saved. I pray, Father, for those who are seeking you and need a church family and today that they will feel welcome here. Lord, whatever it is, I pray today that you will be glorified by our obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir is going to sing. My friend, if you're here without Christ today, let me encourage you to trust Him. Trust Him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors open to you. You come. Stand with me, please, as we stand together and the choir sings, You Come, and I'll greet you as you do.